Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast and the best of The Breakfast Show with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, the man, the myth, the legend, Sir Elton John and the one and only Rick Astley have us giddy with excitement about their once-in-a-lifetime gig at next year's Dine and Disco. Plus, the always rocking Liam Gallagher dishes out the deets for his gig on a boat on the River Thames as well as his brand-new single, All You're Dreaming Of, which I think is my favourite song at the moment. And the huge brain of Stephen Fry delves into the third part of his Greek mythology series, Troy Story 3. Okay, it's just called Troy, but you know. All of that and loads more still to come. Now, Dapper Dave, tell us who's the first celebrity cab off the rank. Next year, he'll be saying goodbye to the Yellow Brick Road and stopping off to get Dine and Disco'd. That's right, he's headlining Dine and Disco 2021 at Tewton Glen, and you could be there to witness the magic. So please welcome a man that needs no introduction, but we've done one anyway. It's the one and only Sir Elton John! All right! Good morning, Elton! Good morning on this beautiful morning. How are you guys? Very well. How have you been? How's 2020 been for you, Elton? Well, it's the same for me as well. Actually, it's better for us than most people. We've we've had it easy. We stopped touring in uh, Australia, and we've ground to a halt. And we came back to England, and we've been in lockdown ever since. But uh, you know, it, I have to say, I've never spent a summer in England for about twenty years, and we've had a beautiful summer. And you know, it's lovely where we live. You only live up the road, so you know how that is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've I've spent so much time with the kids and David that I've just had the best time. But it is odd and it is strange. But I keep myself fairly busy. When you potter, uh, when Sir Elton potters, how how might that manifest itself? I do a lot of exercise, and I've used this time to do a lot of exercise and get really fit. Um, and we we have, kind of have a routine. I mean, you have to get up and do your radio show. I get up. Have breakfast, go in the pool, walk in the pool, do exercise in the afternoon, have lunch with the kids, and then do some work in the afternoon, have dinner, and watch a movie or do something, and then go to bed, and it all starts again. <laughs> Bit of aquafit, I love that. Yeah, I, well, it, you know, it's for my legs at my age. I, I, I used to have bad knees, but now walking in the pool is the best thing you can do. And I walk sideways. <laughs> I'm walking sideways for Christmas. Do you remember that? Um, and I walk sideways and I do about six miles a week. Walking sideways, that's, most, that's more than most crabs. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so this time last year we talked and you were about to embark upon a trip to Australia and you were going to you were going to employ a writing method. Do you remember um, you were going to go and disappear and try and write in the same format that you wrote years and years ago and see how it went. You were going to give yourself a time limit to write some tunes and lay down a new album. How did that work out? I did nothing. Really? Absolutely nothing. So it shows never listen to me at all. Um, <laughs> You know, the, the tour of Australia was so hectic and New Zealand um, that we did a lot of traveling. And so I didn't feel like it. And I can't write unless I feel like it. I've got the lyrics and they're all lovely. But um, instead, I did things with Lady Gaga. I did a track with Ozzy Osbourne. I did a thing with The Surfaces. I did a Gorillaz track. So I've been fairly busy, but I didn't feel like doing any Elton stuff. And I still don't. That's funny, isn't it? Because you were so intent. I remember. 
I know. I know. I thought, I, I, you know, all great intentions, well-meaning intentions. I'm going to do this. I want to do that. And the circumstances, unfortunately, meant that I didn't do anything at all. Yeah, what's that phrase? It's a great phrase, isn't it? This, the blessing of process is the saviour of well-meant intention. Well, there you go. You've got me there. <laughs> Confucius saying, lazy bugger. Yeah. Uh, so today is World AIDS Day. We're recording this on Tuesday. I didn't know, Elton, till I went on your website um, yesterday, the Elton John AIDS Foundation website, that HIV AIDS is, is currently the second biggest killer of young people in the world. I know. It's frightening. Um, um, because uh, young people think they're, you know, they're not vulnerable. And a lot of these people... Um, are in you know sub-Saharan Africa, uh, in the eastern countries of Europe, in Asia, and even in America, in the Deep South. Um, and it's all to do with information. They're not going to they they don't think they're you know they don't think they're going to die of it because you know we have the medicines to halt it. But it's it's not helping the spread of AIDS. But we have hope. I mean, there is there's no need for anyone to die of AIDS anymore. We have the antiretrovirals and we have PrEP, and now we have PrEP for women that's coming out. And so, you know, it's just getting the information to people, especially in Africa, where women, unfortunately, don't have the power. The men have all the power. So women really, the young girls, don't have the power to, um, um, to prevent being infected because the, the men have all the say-so, which is outrageous. But that's the culture of the, of the countries. So, you know, what we're trying to do is get the messaging out there on social media, get the medicines to the young people. Um, and it's a big killer of young women. And I find that so distressing. Yeah, and it's ironic, isn't it? Because, of course, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, when it was called the gay plague, um, the whole framing of it was different then. And it still is to a certain extent. So you've, we've got to get that message out there. Yes, we have. And uh, we've been talking to Anthony Fauci. We've been talking to Facebook. And Facebook is the biggest social media, um, what do they call it? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's in Africa. And young people look at it all the time. We need to get them to message. And we're currently talking to them and Cheryl Sandberg, the head of Facebook, um, to get the messaging across. Because once they get the messaging, and also we need younger people. They're not going to listen to me, but they certainly might listen to a Marcus Rashford or um, a Lewis Hamilton. And, and soccer players, soccer is so huge in Africa, even amongst women, that, uh, you know, this is the sort of route we're going to have to take. But we need for social media to step up and tell these people to go and get tested. And then know, once you know your status, you can, um, you know, you can do everything about it. You can go on treatment and you can have power over your situation. If you don't get tested, you're, you're going to get it and you're going to pass it on and on and on. And, and it's just, you know, it's. It explodes. So we have the plan. All we now need to do is implement it. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Right, how do we get people excited about paying as much money as they can possibly afford to come and see you in a tent next summer? Maybe um, I, maybe I'll play in a mankini. That wouldn't get Woo-hoo! them excited. I'm really excited about it because we won't have an event next year, and it's so kind of you to do this. Um, and and my lovely friend Rick Assey is going to to open, and I'm I'm going to play afterwards. And uh, we're going to have a fantastic evening. It's incredible food. I'll tell everyone now from incredible chefs, great wines. Everything is going to be beautiful. Hopefully, the weather will be beautiful. June the 26th. I've I've got it written in my diary now for next year. Please be nice. Please nice weather. Um, but whatever the weather, we're going to have a great time. And I'm going to I'm really looking forward to it because you know what i haven't played it'll be like the first time i've played you're going to be on fire because you are going to be desperate aren't you desperate of dorking exactly um (laughs) desperate of old windsor yes because 
you know, I, it's odd to have all this time off. As I say, there's been bonus. Every cloud has a silver lining. But, you know, we're supposed to start touring again, God willing, in Berlin next September. Um, it'll be over a year since I performed um, to, a, to a live audience. And I, and I will be looking different. I've, you know, I'm just telling you that now. It'll be a new Elton to look at. And uh, so, yeah, I'm planning it now, Chris. This is a very important date in my calendar. So I'm ramping up my exercising and fitness so that when I appear on the stage, people, there'll be an audible gasp yeah. when this toothpick arrives on the stage with a pair of glasses well, on. I can't wait. Let me tell you that. Uh, so Gary Barlow was on the show earlier and he played this gig for us two years ago. Michael Bublé did it for us last year. Jeff Lynn and ELO did it for us the year before that. Paul McCartney did it the year before that. And and Gary said he so wants to be there next year to see this. Uh, he's going to bid for a pair of tickets himself. But I said we might be able to sneak him in the back door. I think we might. I mean, Gary's a lovely man. He uh, take that did our Aid Foundation gala a few years ago and. Uh, yeah, he's one of the kindest men there is. So I'm sure that we'll, we'll get Gary in somewhere. And, you know, he can set my piano stool up for me if he wants to and um, <laughs> sit, on my, sit on my lap during your song, whatever. <laughs> Thank you so much, Elton. You're welcome. I can't wait to see you. Have a lovely Christmas. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Here's some things our next guest will never do. He'll never give you up. He'll never let you down, run around or desert you. Here's something he will do. Support Elton John at next year's Dine and Disco. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to witness the rickness and welcome the one and only rick astley all right hey. richard how Morning. are you i'm very well thanks very well indeed by the way rick is here with us live this isn't skype it's it's not zoom and we would have taken that but he's here he's flesh room. and bones the beating heart of the rick meister is with us this morning rick thanks a lot for supporting us again not at all my absolute pleasure i mean i tell you if i wasn't actually going to be at the event <laughs> I, I would have been bidding elton john sir elton john in a tent give it a rest will you give Give it a rest. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, how do you ever get that close to that kind of a legend? You just don't. So amazing. I mean, I've seen Elton a bunch of times in, in different parts of the world, and I've been lucky enough to see him in some smaller venues. I've been out to the Vegas show a couple of times, seen different, you know, uh, different ones of those. And But I think he kind of... He brings an awful lot of energy to the stage, doesn't he? And, you know, he's supposed to be in the middle of the his goodbye uh, Yellow Brick Road mm. uh, farewell tour, but obviously that's that's been put on hold. So... During the course of the interview, we both realised sort of at the same time that he won't have played for over a year and he'll be chomping at the bit because he has to perform. It's in his DNA. Yeah. He said, Chris, I'm. this is going to be unbelievable. He said, I'm going to be on fire. Yeah. So we're going to get Elton John on fire in a field. <laughs> put him, in somebody put him out. Exactly. I'll bring a fire extinguisher <laughs> or two. Yeah, I, you know what? I think the, the silver lining of what's been going on this year is that when we do all get to go to concerts again and to the theatre and do all those things, the roof's going to come off. You know, from the audience, they're going to be so in the mood to see a gig and hear a gig and all the rest of it. But also the artists are going to be chomping at the bit. Like you say, they're going to be like, you know, up for it in the biggest way possible. Well, you would know because you are actually one of those artists. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we've had a couple of Zooms with the band and crew and stuff and, and we, we have a laugh and we have a giggle, but we're all a bit gloomy about it. We'd all rather be doing what we should be doing, you know what I mean? And, and it's kind of strange. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to playing again for sure. So we've got you first, then Elton John. Um, now you usually top the bill for us, so he's he's I mean, he's going to have to follow you. He'll be okay, believe me. <laughs> he'll be all right. He'll be okay. I don't think it'll phase him. I really don't. So when was the last time you played live? 
Uh, we the last gig we did was in New Zealand in March. Actually, um, we actually did go up to Japan, but we didn't do the gigs there. No so that way. was kind of yeah, it was kind of a strange thing to go to Japan for thirty six hours because um, we all just got on an earlier flight and came home because obviously the world was beginning to close at that point. So yeah, a bit strange. I've not been in a radio station for months either, so this feels really nice. Actually, yeah, yay! Come on, <clears throat> and it's very embarrassing to say this in front of Rick Forrick. I'm not embarrassed um, at all saying it, but I'm embarrassed for him because he's so modest and humble. I mean, he's sort of in the wrong business. He should be a monk, really, shouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a word with the wife about that. Um, a monk. You know <clears throat> that I bang the drum as far as you're concerned because you are you are the secret party starter you, you're the man man well i'm very lucky i work with a great bunch of people and we have a giggle when we do the gigs and obviously especially things like car fest where you're not playing to your audience you're playing to an audience who've come to have a good time do you know what i mean and yeah. i kind of take that to the stage with me so i'm not i'm not embarrassed to do a couple of covers as well just because you can see right we need to play that and then we're going to be off then you know what i mean the fireworks are going to start dare you dare you an hour before Elton takes to the stage, dare you do an Elton John cover? No. 100% no. All right, then you're uninvited. Uh, you're uninvited? Well, with his permission, I would, yeah. No, but I'm not he gonna, won't know. Come on. What would you, gonna... If you had to pick one, which would you do? Oh, man, where do you start? Uh, Saturday Night for Fighting, that's a good one. That's a good one, isn't it, to start with. But No, I think... Um, I mean, your song to me still floors me every time I hear it. I still keep thinking, how did they do that? It's they were they were kids when they when they wrote I know, that I know, kids I know. They, and also I know. something that's overlooked so many times when people <sighs> talk about Sir Elton is his voice. Everyone talks about the songwriting, they talk about the career he's had, all all of those different. But the, you just listen to the man sing; it's just amazing, so okay. beautiful. And this is an auction to be uh, in a tent with Elton John in a field. That's what's crazy about this particular <laughs> thing. There are lots of things where you can win amazing prizes and you can see bands at amazing places. You know, you can have a fancy box at the O2 or whatever it is. The O2 is great by the way I'm not saying that but I'm just this is a tent in a field <laughs> to just get Sir Elton in a tent in a field that must be a bit of a thing anyway yeah. do you know what I mean but to get him to actually come and perform the first back line or front slash front line conversation we had with Elton's gang right guess what guess what the first question they asked us I, I, I don't even want to say that on the radio but go on <laughs> you tell me go on which piano would you like him to bring <laughs> oh he's serious yeah yeah yeah, which pen? <laughs> he d he uses four, oh. and then they gave us a choice of the four. Three oh, really? in America, one's in the UK. This it doesn't matter. Pick your favourite. Wow. We didn't know what to say. I said, well, what? Wh which does he prefer? He said he doesn't mind. He said it's up to you. It's like I don't know which piano to pick for Sir Elton John. <laughs> which did you go for? I, I left it to the frothy coffee man. I said, tell him, tell him I'm not in. <laughs> that one with all the keys on it that's what you show. want that's what a you big really one want. a big yeah. one with all the notes on it the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio the intellect of our next guest holds no bounds Troy the third volume of his Greek mythology series is out now so as the saying goes if at first you do succeed Troy Troy and Troy again please welcome the mythological beast that is Stephen Fry <laughs> alright Stephen oh, good heavens what an introduction like thank that. you so much but how can an intellect hold bounds, Dave? I'm not quite sure, but anyway. Holds, um, did I say, did uh, I say uh, no, but no, no bounds? No bounds. It doesn't hold bounds. Yeah. Holds I no bounds. It can hold bounds. Yeah. Holds no <laughs> bounds. No bounds. I'll take it as no a great compliment. Anyway, <laughs> let's not get stuck in that marsh. Uh, were you tempted to call this Troy Story? Or Troy Story? <laughs> <laughs> we, we had that conversation. Did yes. you really? 
<laughs> and without wishing to be pomp- too pompous, I obviously can't avoid being pretty pompous because that seems to be in my DNA. But without wishing to be too pompous, I decided it would rather demean uh, not the seriousness because it is an entertainment and the story of the war, but it would look a bit facetious, shall we say? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I thought you could say it was going to demean the Pixar uh, masterpiece yeah. then. <laughs> The other way around. Oh, no. uh, right, so this is your third um, in your little trilogy um, of what, what is it? What are you doing to to these to the in the retelling of these famous famous myths? Well, it is. I hope taking them out of the classroom. For some people, they are a bit uh, associated with you know Latin and Greek lessons at old-fashioned schools, or you know maybe a subject that they didn't quite pick up on when they were ten, eleven, twelve, and some friends did, and they feel. Oh, who who was Apollo exactly or Achilles? Are they the same person? And, you know, we so many of us know the names of characters in Greek myth. And I thought it was actually several years ago, I was at a, a party and I can't remember, we, I started talking about the, how the very first Greek gods were born. Um, the, the, you know, Uranus or Uranus's children, of course, love to call him. <laughs> and uh, he, he and and how he then had children who had children and then the Olympians, Zeus. And I was telling the story and someone said, what? Why don't I know this? And I said, well, I don't I'm not sure. And then I thought maybe it's time to, to tell just to tell from the beginning the story of the birth of the gods and then the creation of humankind. Um, and then all those stories of the heroes, like Jason and the Argonauts and Heracles, which was the second book I wrote. And then the third book, because Greek myths, unlike quite a lot of mythic cycles, they do start at the beginning and end at the end, as it were. They they trace an arc of human development. When humans are first born, we're terrified of the gods. They're all around us. There are nymphs in every stream and mountain and field. And they interact with humans. You know, they they you know, make love to humans. They seduce them. They betray them. They punish them. They tease them. They make jokes about them. And humans live in this very fascinating kind of world, early world. But then these new kinds of humans, heroes who who defeat you know, the monsters and, and go on quests and, and establish cities and empires. And then by the time of the Trojan War, the gods are still involved in human life, but slowly it's becoming much less uh, a magical world of, of gods and nymphs everywhere. The humans have kind of turned their back on the gods and the gods kind of know it. And their one last effort to contain humanity, which is threatening to make the gods redundant, is to throw them into this in, in enormous conflict, the biggest fight that humans had ever had at that time. And weirdly, of course, this over, overlaps a little with history because we now know there was a war in a place that is more or less agreed to be where Troy was, Hisalik in Turkey. And, you know, there's archaeological evidence of cities being burned to the ground and so on. And... Um, it seems that all those, th- you know, thousands of years ago, four and a half thousand years ago, whatever, there, there really was uh, this conflict. Um, and whether it was over a beautiful woman, that's the story of the Trojan War, of course you can't be sure, though, let's be honest, there have been wars over dynastic marriages that have gone wrong and uh, abductions and so on. And indeed, there have been trade wars <laughs> and still are. Uh, so, you know, there's there's so much about it that is a mixture of myth and history. It makes it so beguiling. And the characters in it are almost the first modern people. Because in the early days of the golden age of Greek myth, it's, you know, there are shining, young, beautiful shepherds who are turned into flowers and all of that. But here in the Trojan War, you've got 
that mixture that makes up what humanity was going to be as civilization then spread around the world, which is to say a mixture of warriors like Ajax and Achilles and Hector, brave and extraordinarily fast physical humans, but also smart people, inventors, people with cunning minds, Odysseus being the, the classic example, sometimes called Ulysses. He, 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 he's, his wit and his cunning is what actually won the war. And it's almost as if the myth is saying, by the time we get to the end of the gods and humans interacting, um, the human quality that is going to win through is not strength, it's not barbarism, it's not the sword and the spear, it's actually the wits. It's the wits that are going to be the thing that make humans as big as gods. And it's kind of true. It's as if the Greeks were seeing that. Because myth looks at... It's about sitting around a fire, myth, really, saying, how did we get here, Daddy? Mummy, tell me why the mountain makes a rumbling noise. Why does it rain sometimes? Who does that? And you tell stories. Well, there are gods in the mountains who are angry. or And then they slowly get more detailed and more interesting. Um, and then, you know, as, as human beings did become a civilization, and the Greek civilization was an extraordinary one, the Athenian democracy, um, you know, democracy, logic, you know, so many rules of Western harmony, music and mathematics and so on. I mean, they're not the only people to have come up with these these ex extraordinary leaps forward for our species. Uh, Stephen, <laughs> awesome to talk to you and to listen to you. Thank you so much for being here. Delight. Thank you, Chris. Okay, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas all. Stephen Fry and Troy, his book, which has already been at number one, is out now in hardback, paperback and audiobook. Who wouldn't go audiobook? Who wouldn't go audiobook? I once recorded an audiobook and in the next booth was Stephen Fry. And oh. I didn't want to do what I was... <laughs> I want to hear him. <laughs> yeah. And then we all ran up a hill and we ran down again and everybody's really... And we all got a medal. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, we've already heard from three top draw guests, but hold on tight as there's still so much more to come. The brilliant Alan Davis tells the story behind his eye-opening new memoir, Just Ignore Him. Acting powerhouse Vigo Mortensen waxes lyrical about his engrossing brand new film that he wrote, directed and stars in. It's called Falling. The tip-top tuppence Middleton takes us back to the golden age of Hollywood, discussing her new film, Mank, alongside Gary Oldman. It's available now via Sky Q on Netflix. And take that front man, Gary Barlow, blows the trumpet for his brand new big band solo album music played by humans all of that and more still to come so let's get right back to the action dapper dave who's next 
Only one thing could improve our next guest, and that's some lovely seasonal brass. Well, look no further. His gorgeous new single, All You're Dreaming Of, is out now. And here to explain how he's got it all brass about face is a man known for <laughs> rocking the boat who's about to rock virtually on a boat. It's Liam Gallagher. All right, oh. Liam. Morning, mate. How are you? Good, man. Good. Nice Good. day out, isn't it? Very, well, it's, yeah, it's a bit Dickensian out there. It's a bit sort of Christmas yeah. carol, a bit Oliver Twisty out there. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So, I, apparently, you're taking a morning off running this morning. Well, I haven't run for a bit anyway now. I do. I get them out on the bike these days and that, but, yeah, I haven't been out on that either. What about this? What about this collective letter to Santa, right, Liam, from all Oasis fans? Dear Santa, please get Liam and Noah back together for £100 million. Oh, yeah. I'd do it for nothing, mate. But is that true? Did you, did uh, were you offered a hundred million pound from a from a? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was getting talked about. Yeah, and uh, East Camp knocked it on the head. So, so was, um, was that an actual offer from a promoter that, that I may know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you may know. Of course, you know him. You probably know him. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it was for the tour and stuff. But there you go. It, it, it's going to happen. Trust me. Really? If you if you had to pick a year when it might happen, when when what which year would you put all you? Well, which not 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 your house, but maybe your shirt on next year. Really? 2021? Why not, eh? Wow. All right, good. Yeah. Um, right, now, we, had lo- <laughs> we received loads of texts a couple of Mondays ago about you... <laughs> You on a massive barge going under Tower Bridge because right. obviously you know we're near Tower Bridge. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we started to discover what had been going on. Why don't you enlighten us a bit more to to what was going on then and what's going to happen this Saturday live stream? Right. So obviously with this COVID, all the gigs got cancelled and that, and everyone was then sort of going, "Oh, should do a gig and that, keep in touch with everyone." I was going, "All right, well." And then there was talk about doing a Zoom gig. I'm not doing Zoom gigs. They're ridiculous. So <laughs> I thought, all right, well, let's just swerve that one. And then I went, listen, let's do it. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it proper. Let's get a barge and go up and down the Thames and get the, and get the band up and that and um, play it live instead of acoustic and that. So uh, that's what we did. It's a great idea. Was it actually your idea to go down the Thames? Or up, of course you, it was, mate. You, you of actually, it was. Yeah, you actually went up the Thames. Did you start at the barrier and go up or did you start up river we, and go down? Start, I don't know. Where, where did we start, Debbie? Just before the Thames barrier and then we went all the way, we dug down all up. But it was good, man. And I thought it was going to sound horrific. But it sounds really good. And the weather was kind of nice and that, so I think it was meant to be. It's pretty iconic, man. No, I mean, brilliant. You know, you start off at the Thames Bar, you go upstream. Um, How long is the gig? Do you tell us how long the gig is, and I'll try and guess how far you got up the river then. Right, well, we're playing... The gig's about over an hour, about 16 songs and that. But we got up to the... I'll tell you where we got up to. We we had to stop at the House of Parliament. All right, okay. Well, that's not that far up, really, is it? Because you go about six miles an hour. And when you say a barge, it was... I think they're called lights. They're they're these... I think they're actually called lights, what you're on, because you Yeah, it's not a a Rosie and Jim one or whatever they're called. It's a big... It's like a big flat thing, and then you've got some geezer pushing you on the back. So it's basically like... It's basically like a stage... All right, and was it a full back line on the boat? Was it everybody who's usually on stage? uh, uh, Exactly, mate. It was everyone. Backing singers, the lot. Wow. It was cool. And what did you do afterwards? What did we do afterwards? No, we sat... Where did we go? Uh, I think we might come back to line, I think. A few of us. Oh, no, we didn't, actually. No, we didn't. I went to an hotel, actually, and had a little bit of a do there. Good for you. Only a few people, you know, only six. Yeah, I get it, I get it. And what was the buzz like? We all wore masks and that. (laughs) <laughs> and you stuck your straw through the mass paper straws now. Yeah, exa- exa- exactly. What was the buzz like after the gig on the Thames? Oh no, it was mega. No, it was a result, man. I thought, like I said before, we've done some gigs and that outdoors, and it can either go, it can go either, it can be a nightmare. And I thought we pulled it off. And I, and you know, obviously, I'm very confident. I sound amazing. <laughs> 
Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? You you never have imagined it, would you, in a month of Sundays that you'd you'd be playing on a barge under the Thames? You know, especially in the lockdown. Especially in the lockdown. That's what. That's what. That's what that's what this is all about, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's punk, it's punk rock, and that's what people need to be doing. And I think doing zooms and doing gigs to know people in fields and all that tackle—it's a cop out. And the minute you carry on doing stuff like that, that's what they're going to make you do. So, you know, stop. Get, think big all the time. Next year, right? Um, we're hearing great things about Easter and just after Easter. Um, what are you hearing? What about what? Going back to normal? Yeah, but about you getting back to work and playing live? Because we, we need... I can't... Do you know what? I said to Tasha over the weekend, I cannot wait. I don't care who it is, where it is, exactly. what they're playing. I just can't wait to see some live music again. Yeah, and just be in a field with loads of people, even though you don't know them, you know what I mean? And like, you know, just... That's the, that's, I think that's the worst thing about it. All is just human interaction, you know what I mean? Walking yeah. out and listen, it's got to be done, but walking out with your mask on and speaking to people with masks on, it's, it ain't fun, you know what I mean? So just all that stuff. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Like you said, it doesn't matter who it is. Have you got any gigs lined up for next year? Well, it's all the ones that got cancelled last year. Hopefully we'll have to do them again. I mean, hopefully we can do them all again this year and that. But um, I'm not hearing anything. Who knows what's going on? Right, tell us about this new single. Right, new single, All You Dreaming Of. Um, I think it's out already. It's got a bit of a Christmassy vibe. Wrote it in the first lockdown, me and Simon. And um, yeah, it's good, man. Well, Perfect, is... and it's not and it's not cheesy. And we don't mention Rudolph, and we don't mention Slade. <laughs> it's proper. Yeah, but it is Christmas. It's, it's got a bit, it's got a bit of an old school kind of Bing Crosby vibe. I like it. It's good. Is this the closest thing you've ever come to recording a Christmas single? Yeah. Well, this is it. Well, when we've done it, we've done it in the lockdown. Whenever that was, and right. I just thought to myself, I thought we can't be putting this out in June, man. So, it, so it had a bit of a Christmas. So we played on it a bit, but. Yeah, it's the closest one. Are there any sleigh bells on it? No, no. I thought we put them on and then took them off. Well, what about if I added a few? Nah, I'm partial to a sleigh bell. I love them. I love a sleigh bell too. Yeah, we, we I'd got... walk around the house banging in my daddy's <laughs> kitchen. <up. laughs> uh, right now, all the proceeds from all you're dreaming of as a single up until the new year go to where? Go for action for children. Right, tell us about are, that. Which is um, a charity for vulnerable kids and uh, it's good lovely to talk to you anything else you'd like to say to the world who's listening now because I know they are because they've told us just happy Christmas have a good new year and hopefully see you next year and we'll have a party the best of the Chris Evans breakfast show with Sky on Virgin Radio Pounding the stand-up circuit, long-running telly belly laughs and now a best-selling author. We are in good company. His breathtaking new memoir, Just Ignore Him, is out now and here to tell us more. As a man so good, he's impossible to ignore. Please welcome the phenomenal Alan Davies. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. How are you today? That's a very kind introduction. <laughs> we only do kind <laughs> intros on this show, Al. <laughs> Sorry, thank you. Right, so let's talk about your book now. So just ignore him, Alan Davis. So this is the resultant of a writing course. Tell us, first of all, where you were in 2015 before you enrolled on this course and what drove you towards doing that? Well, there were two things going on in my head. One is I had this story I wanted to tell about my uh, childhood, which was uh, troubled in many ways. And it had always been kind of in my mind, and I felt like it was stopping me from writing any other books or stories or scripts. And the other thing was, I, I quite wanted to go back to college. I just, I lived quite near a university, and I used to see the students, and I felt like I didn't make the most of my time. I did go to university, and I did, did a lot of comedy and acting in plays, but not really paying much attention to the course. And I felt like I wanted to do that, and a friend of mine... Um, did a master's course at Goldsmiths College in radio, and he, he's now a podcast producer mainly, and uh, he recommended the place, and I went down there, and I enrolled on a creative and life-writing course 
uh, and it was the best thing I've done, I think, in my adult life. I, I just really got so much out of it, and I really enjoyed all the teachers and all the other students, and uh, and was developing my writing because the writing is quite personal and quite difficult, and I was able to do it there in in you know privacy and and uh, with support and advice and help. So it was brilliant. And what, what they said, one of the things that um, your your amazing teachers there said to you was, look, because you began writing, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you began writing, and they said, you know, th- th- okay, there's something going on here, um, but, you know, go deeper, uh, write the truth, this is a safe space, you can write anything you like, don't worry about it. Yes, that's exactly right, and there's a, and there's a kind of pact between everybody on the course that you don't discuss what other people are writing outside the room, you know, so it's, it is a safe space, and... And writing down your thoughts and your feelings is, is, can be valuable anyway, even if you just do it for yourself. But to have that uh, workshopped and looked over by people with the writing in mind, I think it really helped me to improve. I'm quite proud of what I've managed to do with the book, and um, I'm getting some nice reaction from people, especially readers online and so on. So uh, I feel quite positive about it at the moment. And has, has it achieved what you wanted it to? You felt like you, were, you were, it wasn't writer's block, it was life block you'd come up against. I think so, yeah. I think you know, if you have some traumatic events in your childhood or some event, there's something that's always there in your mind, you know, it's always playing around in your head and, and, it, and it does affect your life right into the future. I'm 54 now and uh, people, lots of people have got in touch with me and said, oh, they had similar experiences or things that happened. And what I've tried to do is, in the book is explain you know, it's not a, I'm not, it's not a, a misery memoir. It's not a, I'm not complaining or moaning. I'm just trying to explain what it's like with, some, with a touch of humour where I can find it. And, uh, and I think actually, in, in truth is, Chris, that when I got into comedy in my 20s, I enjoyed it so much and I loved doing stand-up so much that that just took me right away from yeah. all of those painful things. And I went off somewhere. And, uh, but that was sort of unsustainable, really. <laughs> And that kind of living that that mad life of going to festivals and working all the time, mm. and, uh, and now I'm back at home with kids, and it's and I'm sort of thinking more about you know the the other stuff. You you talk in the book about you know putting together a 20 minute set when you know psychologically all hell was breaking loose and had been you know for as long as you could remember around you, but putting together a 20 minute set that absolutely killed you know wherever you played it. So so where did that come from? Where did that ability to come up with 20 minutes of observations, you know, majorly parking what was really going on in your life, uh, or, the, or the sort of the darker things that are going on with your life, and, and, you know, magnifying those lighter things, almost like self-survival, or, I mean, that's one thing, to, to use it as that, but then to turn it, to be genuinely funny, and so funny you start winning all the awards in the blinking world, where did that come from? It's hard to say, I really, I've always loved comedy, and I, I did find... I got into it when I was at university and I had some friends who I used to sit around and laugh with and I always thought we were going to try and do sketches or something or maybe we'd be, you know, you, you see this... Uh, there was a show called Comic Roots where they would show comedians when they met when they were young, you know, like Rick Mann and Aid Ebenson and people like that and I was looking around for someone and I did meet a friend of mine called Richard Preddy who was a very funny guy and we used to make each other laugh a lot and uh, very sadly Richard passed away a few months ago and... Uh, we talked just before he, he, he went about our time together. And in the end, he became a comedy writer, but he, he didn't really want to get up on stage. And um, I, so I just had to get up on my own. So I got up on my own, and, um, and I loved it so much, and I could get laughs. And then I became just very, very focused on doing that 
six or seven nights a week. And, and once you're enjoying it and you're gigging all the time, you, you can get good, you know. And <laughs> I, I was talking about something about this about the other day, about this pandemic. About, I'm 54, I've got three kids, I don't mind being at home. Right. But if I was 24 and wanting to gig every night, I would really be struggling in this situation. I really do feel for younger people who just are desperate to get out, you know. And, and so going forward, you know, how do you feel, you know, COVID-19, you know, let, let's, let's leave that as a caveat on the side, let's bracket that. How do you feel now? Do you feel, is this a second year or a third year? Is it a different instalment? You, you know, is it, that, is it that sort of binary? For me and my friends around me and my wife and in the future, my children, there's, an, there's, there's now a, a bit of clarity about my life experience and what happened to me. And there's, I set a precedent, I hope, for people around me about being honest and open. And, and uh, half a dozen people that I know and have known for years have contacted me and said they had similar experiences when they were young and I didn't know about it. So I, I feel sort of optimistic that things are going to be a bit clearer and a bit lighter going forward and, uh, and we'll be able to enjoy, our, Katie and I'll be able to enjoy our family growing up. That's, what I, that's all I really want, you know. Well, congratulations on writing the book. Well done. Thank you, Chris. You're very welcome. Just ignore him. Um, you will not read a more candid memoir. It's impossible. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He perfected pop party anthems in the boy band. He nailed acoustic moodiness in the man band. And now he's blowing his trumpet for the big band. His brand new album, Music Played by Humans, is out now. And here to tell us more is one of those humans more commonly known as Gary Barlow. All right, Gazabaza. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> First of all, um, this new album, Music Played by Humans, now... I listened to it yesterday, and that's what you say to... I'm presuming the orchestra behind you uh, at the beginning of track one. Is that, is that right? Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, the idea um, for the whole record was to... I've, I've, I've used musicians in the past, but, but usually small sections on, like, a few songs, but not very much. And I thought, you know what, wouldn't it... This was last summer. Wouldn't it be amazing to, to put more musicians on a record than I've ever had, ever? Um, and what followed that was more collaborations than I've ever had on any record. And, and how bizarre that we're now sitting in a time where we're not able to re even record music like this at the moment. Um, so it, it, seems, it seems scary, but it was meant to happen, I think. Um, and for anyone who's had the pleasure of either sitting in an audience watching an orchestra or, as I did a lot of the time, stand in the middle of them, it's the most exciting and thrilling experience for, for you know, for a person to do. So it, it, it was amazing to get up every day and go and make this album. Well, good for you, Gary. Um, you know, and it's very important to, to remain engaged with what you do for a living. And th we should never not be that way. But obviously, sometimes things become a bit too repetitive and become, therefore, a bit too perfunctory. So you have to, to sort of reframe everything you do on a daily basis, I think, with life, even, you know, even literally when it comes to having a shower. Come on, you know, just like, um, this morning, a cold shower on, I started beating myself in the chest, oh, come on, let's make this Tuesday different to any other Tuesday ever before. And it really works, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? It, it, music's definitely about that, because even the cycle of music is a bit seasonal. You know, we spend... 
eight months locked away in a studio and then we go and do this. We speak to people, we go on TV shows and then we go on the road for three months and that's lovely. And it, and it constantly refreshes the creativity and the inspiration because, you know, with any of this stuff, you've got to live to be able to write. You know, you've, yeah. you've got to experience life. So that bit is so... In, in fact, it's more important, that bit. OK, so uh, you've got some amazing collaborations here. Michael Bublé, James Corden, Alicia Dixon, Barry Manilow, Chili Gonzalez, to name just a few. Beverly Knight, who's just the greatest vocalist in the history yep. of music. Yep. Um, do you make the call? Uh, how, how does that work? You know what? It ended up a bit of an album with mates, to be honest. Mm. Um, it, it's, for anyone who's done these duets, they are a nightmare. <laughs> they're, they're done with the labels and yeah. the managers, and they, you've shown too much of the left-hand side of their face, and I, I just can't be bothered with it. So I just phoned up a load of mates. Um, you know, M- Michael was probably the trickiest because he was in Vancouver, um, and so we, we didn't actually meet during the making. of He's the only one we didn't actually get in a room with. Um, but we've known each other for long enough to sort of be able to do it over a phone. But it was just terrific. And, you know, if someone tells you, hey, tomorrow you've got Beverly Knight in the studio recording, now what kind of day is that going to end up? I know. It was know. just amazing. She is so cool, isn't she? So, oh, so, so have you yeah. been to Buble's house? In Vancouver? Yeah. No, I haven't. You know, he's got a, he's got a full-size ice hockey rink or arena in his basement. Do you know about this? Uh, do you know what? He's actually shown me this on FaceTime. <laughs> his favourite team rehearse in there, don't they? I don't know. Is that what teams do? They rehearse? You mean practice? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I'm in the music industry. I only deal in stage terms. Tell us about James Corden's collaboration. Yeah, yeah. So that... so. Basically, when I was little, my dad used to watch uh, Morecambe and Wise on a Sunday. And the one thing I, that always stuck with me was um, they never used to do duets, love songs, a man and a woman. They used to do buddy songs. And it always fascinated me that. And I've always wanted to write a buddy song. And so this is my buddy song on this record. Now, what it does is... It completely embraces how British men are to one another <laughs> in the in the way that when we tell each other that we love each other, we insult each other. Yeah. Now, can you imagine that I sit on a daily basis talking to Poland, Bulgaria, Italy, Spain, and I'm trying to explain to them that this is the way English people talk to one another and, and it just goes completely over their heads. Um, so, of course, there was only James that could be on this track. We're, we're old friends. He's a great singer, and he's got, obviously, a great sense of comedy. And so it was a pleasure to have him on it, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. Yeah, and he's getting closer and closer to his dream by by the day, isn't he, of actually being in a man band? Because it's, it's, <laughs> he still says, he still says, uh, you know, and he's got a pretty decent movie career now, as well as his, you know, his unbelievable um, sort of reign late night in, in the US, which is richly deserved, much deserved. But he said he, he still says he would give it all up to be in a band tomorrow. <laughs> Do you know what? He tells me a great story of when he and eight girls from school came to a, to our concert at Wembley um, in 1994. And he said, we were so far at the back, we could touch the back wall of Wembley, wow. uh, which I thought was, was amazing. Um, but no, he, he's, he's always been a big fan of ours. And, and I'm actually going on his show next week um, to do one of the songs. So no, he's a brilliant guy. Love him. And like you say, all the success is 
I tell you the thing about James. When you give James something, this is what I love because this is my attitude. You send him a song. He says, great, let's record it. And when he gets to the studio, he doesn't even need the words. He's rehearsed yeah. it. He knows his part. And that's because he's, he does it on a daily basis. He's in movies. He's on TV. He knows to be good, you have to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. Right, Gary Barlow, Music Played by Humans. The album Music Played by Humans is out now. 2021 tour, November 27th to December 18th. GaryBarlow.com, go there for tickets. And this massive ITV special, and it's going to be live from London's Natural History Museum, or as live at least, at 9pm this coming Sunday. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He's the Danish dreamboat that gives absolutely everything on screen and his talent doesn't stop there. He's written and directed the phenomenal new film Falling out in cinemas from today so please welcome a man that's gone from lord of the rings to become a lord of all the things here we go it's vigo mortensen <laughs> morning vigo good morning good morning how are you guys? oh we're very well thank you so much for joining us i haven't seen your film i won't pretend that i have but my friends have everybody else on the team has i was watching two other films last night all to do with today's show so please forgive me but they absolutely loved it that's a relief Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's as good a show as you get sometimes. It's a relief. Right, over to you, Vassos. Well, Vigo, congratulations. It was just such a beautiful film and it was gentle, but it was brutal. I did find it quite funny in places and, and I sort of felt a bit bad for laughing. Is that all right? For example, the bit at the start on the plane or when the guy who plays your father is just stunning and fantastic. But some of the things he said were so awful, they were almost funny. Yes, I agree. I share your sense of humor. And I notice the further north you get in Europe as the movie starts to roll out, that people tend to laugh more for some reason. I don't know why. The absurd sense of humor or whatever. I, I, I'm, very, I'm very happy that the movie has reached uh, the UK, finally. I've been waiting all year because of the pandemic, as, as so many other people have. And I'm, I'm so pleased that we'll finally be able to show this story to audiences there. Really happy about that. So you wrote the film, you directed the film, you starred in the film, and in this film you play, and I should have said this uh, earlier, apologies, that you play a gay man who is dealing with your homophobic and racist father who is suffering with the beginnings of dementia. Yes, Lance Henriksen, who gives a once-in-a-lifetime performance. He's someone that some of your viewers may find familiar. I mean, he's done hundreds of movies, mostly genre movies, sci-fi and uh, horror movies, but never had a, a big role like this one. And he really does an amazing job. It's a beautiful, brave, you know, uh, terrifying performance at times. And to me as well, funny. And, you know, some of the horrible things he says and does are just uh, so shocking that you can't help but laugh, you know, but he's, it's a wonderful performance. I'm so glad people are going to get to see him. What made you think to, to write this particular story, Vico? I, I was in the process of trying to get another movie made. I've been trying to direct a movie for about 25 years, many scripts and, you know, failed attempts, and finally found the money to do this one. It was after my mother had died. She had also, like the character in the story that Lance plays, had suffered from dementia, uh, my father did as well. I've seen a lot of that in my family. So after she passed away, I just wanted to write down, I wanted to remember things, you know, conversations and events from my childhood. I was thinking about her, but it ended up becoming a fictional story <clears throat> about a conflict basically at the center of it between a father and a son who have very different views on, on life, really. 
Now, Vigo, there's some beautiful nature shots in this movie, like the birds mm. in the nest or the caterpillars in the trees. What made you want to include those very quiet moments? Well, I think that memory, you know, we think that the things that we remember from the past, those are facts. And whereas the present is confusing and the future is unknown, we can count on the past. But in reality, I think that the way we remember things is more a collection of feelings than facts. And it, they evolve all the time. I thought, I thought that that was something to explore visually, you know, through these images. And, and especially Willis, the, the old man in the story who has dementia, his particular way of, he's very much in the past a lot of the time. His present is, is not like anyone else's. And I wanted to evoke that through those images from different seasons. So we went and shot that before we even had the money. I called the cinematographer. I said, come with me. Let's go find these places where we're going to work and let's film in spring, summer and, and autumn. I want to have a library of, of images related to the natural landscapes where this person lives. He's a farmer this old man, and he's, he's very tied to his area. You know, he's not really interested in traveling around the world. So uh, the world around him, the natural world, is everything. So it was important to film that and then use that as his memories, you know. Vigo, thumbs up all round from the team here, I promise you. Uh, six people have seen it who work on the show, and they all absolutely loved it, so congratulations. And um, well, it took you forever to get this film made, um, but what's better than one brand-new Mortensen screenplay? How about two, three, four, five? How about seven? Um, so you, five you've written under lockdown, two more still to come. What the heck's going on? What's in your water, Vigo? Well, I'm locked down and at home, not locked down fully anymore, but... And so I've just kept busy writing new stories. I'm, I'm anxious to direct another movie. <clears throat> and I understand it took a long time because I'd never directed a movie. So who's to say I know how to do that, you know? But now that I've directed one, perhaps perhaps I'll be given a chance sooner. <laughs> I, I hope. All right, pal. I certainly have more compassion for directors now when I'm, when I'm in the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I cut them a little more slack I, know. I said well that scene wasn't excellent but maybe the next one will be better I know, I know it's hard to make it it's the know. same with getting into production once you've been you know if you've been presenting all your life you suddenly feel a whole different world of empathy for producers alright Vigo thank of you so course. much for being here live uh, from Madrid there Vigo Mortensen talking about his brand new film Falling in cinemas from today. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. All right, well, Kelly Jones apparently is on the line to talk to us uh, now. I mean, I'm not happy with him because um, of the last five minutes of the documentary, but yeah. give, give him the whole big showbiz intro anyway. We'll get I'll on to try. that in a moment or I'll two. I'll try. Right. <clears throat> His voice is all stadium filler and plenty of killer. His stripped-back new album, Don't Let the Devil Take Another Day, is out today, and the documentary is in cinemas soon. So please welcome the biggest fan of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show, not that you'd know it when he gives Zoe a great big hug in his new film. Oh, I know. It's Kelly Jones. What's going on with that? Hi, Kelly. How are you doing? All right, mate? I'm all right. I just want to... Let's get this <laughs> elephant in the room out of the way. <laughs> you actually have more of our time than anybody, Chris, so you, yeah. you can rest assured. But we didn't make the cut to the documentary, though, did we, Kelly? We're not, we're <laughs> not, in, cameras there. We're not in the cinemas with you, are we? Are we? Next time. There's not going to be a next time. You're not going to make another cinematic documentary <laughs> as good as this one you've made. By the way, um, all joking aside, it is absolutely fantastic. Congratulations. I loved it. 
Thank you very much. Thanks for watching it. Well, I love everything about it. It's just, it's like a, a, a warm bath. It's just, I honestly, guys, I know that people who listen to this show really love their live music. We're getting so many texts about Blossoms. People are crying listening to Blossoms this morning because live music is back on the radio. Yeah. But if you really love your, your live music, because I know you all do, you've got to get this in your life in cinemas from december the 11th and online from december the 18th this is don't let the devil take another day film.com is where you can find it and the album of the same name is out today so kelly i don't know how much you want to say about what happens in the film uh, because there is a, yeah. this par- parallel even more personal narrative than you explaining your songs to the people who love what you do what do, what do you want to say about it how, how do you want to have this conversation um well it was it, it, you know i think 2019 was quite a big year for me personally i think at the end of 2018 i was considering not knocking the whole thing on the head but i was having thoughts about something needed to change and i couldn't work out what that was and just as i was going through that process really i went for a, a checkup at the doctors and i i got diagnosed with a, a polyp on my vocal cords which obviously for a singer is a very anxious sort of situation and i kind of had to go through this whole procedure of surgery and, and recovery and during the recovery I kind of had a lot of time to think because I wasn't allowed to speak for quite a little bit of time and then I had to learn how to sing again and I had to make these videos of me learning to sing again and send them to this vocal coach which is horrible to watch back actually but during that time I kind of I thought I'd put a flag in the sand and book a solo tour which was something I've always wanted to do to tell stories about how a lot of the songs I've written came to pass and you know hindsight can actually offer a lot of humor on those stories even though the the songs themselves are quite moving and kind of uh going through tough times the the the, the storytelling in between could be quite funny no it so is, the, and it is hilarious and you seem to enjoy the banter yeah so I always wanted to do a kind of make them laugh make them cry make them wait kind of kind of show you know and I can't really do that you know in the stereophonics thing because it's such a big production and everybody's there to have a good time and so this was a very very different way of doing it and you know it was a half girl half boy kind of band with a girl drummer and a, and a and a violin player and the stage was constantly rotating everybody was changing instruments and moving around a lot and <laughs> you could hear a pin drop telling the stories and it was just a very very different project and I think what I discovered through the whole thing was it wasn't about kind of quitting the stereophonics it was just dividing the pie chart up a little bit and doing a bit less of that and doing a bit more of the other things I want to learn and grow from. But the yeah. irony is, from, from thinking about packing it all in, you actually ended up having your busiest year ever. Yeah, I made two albums. You know, Kind, kind came out, I went to number one, and then I made an album called, uh, with a new band called Far From Saints, which are from some friends in Austin, Texas, which is a, is a beautiful record, which will be out next year. Um, and, and doing, you know, two legs of that solo tour, then we did all the big arena shows with Stereophonics and the European tour, so... It was a massive year, really. And then it kind of tops and tails. Ben Lowe made the film. He did a great job. He's been following Stereophonics around the camera for years and years and years. And he didn't even know anything about this. He came on the road to film the tour. And then after the tour, he, he overheard me talking to my manager about a surgery thing. And he said, what was that? I, what did you just say? And I said, oh, I had this thing. And he said, do you not think that should be part of the story? And I'm like, oh, I'm not sure about that, man. It's a bit, bit of a vulnerable thing, but... He did a very, very trustworthy job on it, and he's made a really good arc to the story from New Year's Eve, where I was told I had to have the surgery, to the next New Year's Eve where I'm playing on Jules Holland. So yeah, it's quite yeah. a, it's quite a journey actually in a whole, you know, twelve months. As far as your bandmates and most of the people around you, and you talk about this in the documentary, you chose not to tell them what was going on. Tell us about that thought process. 
Yeah, I think it's a bit like, you know, when a sports person has an injury or a ballet dancer breaks her ankle or something like that, I just thought, you know, every time a footballer comes back from an injury, everybody goes, oh, he's not as good since his injury. I, I needed to kind of get a bunch of albums under my belt, uh, huge shows under my belt, and, and people go, no, man, you're singing better than you ever have. Because if I told them before that, they go, oh, yeah, there's a bit. It just added more pressure to it. So it's quite a strange thing for me to watch back. I had to take my kids to watch it at the at the BFI because it opened a film festival there. And they came up to me after and they said, uh, I didn't know you'd... Uh, smashed a car by the scaffold in Paul and got taken on by the police, Dad. So it was quite a... Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, there's so much on. in it, isn't there? Because this is the beginning of the band. There's the stuff with your dad, the Stuart story as well. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Stuart's mum, Mabel. Yeah, uh, Mabel, Mabel Cable. Cable. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I love it. You know, and and the the radiogram, you know, with, yeah. the, with the stereophonic logo on it, uh, you know, and the close-up of that, and that's why you call yourself the stereophonics. It's just a brilliant, brilliant film. It's so cool, man. It's I'm so, yeah, it's a good film. And I, yeah, I'm glad you made it for you. I'm glad you made it for us. It's it's a win-win. Now, hindsight is twenty twenty. We know that. And forgive mm. me uh, f- for this if if I'm wrong. But I thought something was going on, Kelly, because because you know you seem to there seemed to be of extra a bit of extra weight around you last time we, yeah. we met, and you do feel you even now you sat you sound lighter. Is that how do you feel lighter? Well, it's been a lot going on. You know, I've had a lot going on with the family. I've had a lot going on personally. Um, it's just one of those things that you have to go through. And the first person I called when I got diagnosed was Tom Jones, actually, to get some advice from Tom. And he was amazing. He was really, really supportive, and he helped me through a lot. In a way, it feels like you've had a break. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I bet you could still do it with a holiday, I'm sensing. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't mind a holiday. A holiday would be good if you can actually get on a plane somewhere. <laughs> well, you can, actually. Uh, do you remember that night we had in the William IV on Harrow Road? After, after Oh, what a night that, that was. was a great night. That was, that was so, amazing. That was... that was the first night Tom ever sat me down and told me and Stuart about stories for about three and a half hours. Every name I threw him, from Morecambe Wise to Muhammad Ali to Frank Sinatra, he had a story for every single person in the, in the world. It was an incredible night. It was one of the best post-TFIs uh, drinks we'd ever had and we've had a few king william the fourth pub on the harrow road there's yeah. there's me there's you lot uh there was tom uh, mel sykes was there we had a riot that night yeah natalie bruglia was there I, I everybody yeah he was never, a good crack. Want, never wanted that to end i don't know how can you remember why we ended up there because we used to go to the pub over the road how can we all know. decamped because it's miles away from where yeah, we made I know, the show i don't know where we were. i remember we got there late and tom's like where you been they'll be waiting for you you been uh, we, we used to call him Tom Perignon because all he drank was Dom Perignon, but Tom Perignon. Yeah, it was a good night, though. Oh, it was a great night, Kelly. Thanks. Kelly, lovely to talk to you, mate. Thanks for having me on the show. You're awesome. You're absolutely awesome. I love you to death. Uh, thanks for everything you do for the world. It's amazing. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.